right, so I was dared to rap him in, but I'm not going to do that because I can't rap. But, um, just kidding, no, I'm just kidding, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I just want to introduce our speaker for the night. Um, honestly, he's one of the greatest people that I've ever met, and I'm not just saying that because, like, he's kind of, like, in charge here, but I'm just, like, he's actually a really great guy. I love him a lot. He's a great father, he's a great pastor, and all are all a really great person. So please welcome to the stage, Josh Jones. All right. Sorry, guys. Hey, I'm Josh. <laughs> um, most of you know me. If not, um, that's my name. And so I am co-directing with Natalie this year um, here at Chi Alpha. We're both on staff alongside my wife, Brittany, who's sitting here on the front row. And so um, we're your three staff members for Chi Alpha this year. If you're like, whoa, wait, where's Blaine? Um, Blaine is gone. And so, yeah, um, he's going to listen to this tomorrow. And um, he's, yeah, he'll be back. He's uh, actually taking a year of stepping off campus to raise funds to continue to serve long term here at Chi Alpha at American University. So um, Natalie and I get the um, awesome and sometimes stressful opportunity to um, take the reins of the ministry and continue it on. Um, with what Blaine's been doing. And so AU Chi Alpha has been here going strong for about 17 years, and uh, we just get to be a small part of that story. So hopefully we get to carry, those, uh, carry that mantle well. And so all the support that you guys can give would be welcome. But anyways, uh, welcome back to TNW. Welcome to the first one of the year. If uh, you were here last week for the preview service, um, this is actually your second TNW of the year, but uh, for all of you returning students, um, thanks for coming out, being a part, and joining back in. It's good to see your faces again. It's good to be a part of a community. This summer, it was long. Uh, we did about three weeks of travel at the beginning of the summer, uh, front-loaded the summer of travel, and then kind of spent the rest of the summer prepping for this year and really excited to see what God's going to do. And so um, if you're new to Chi Alpha, um, Morgan mentioned it earlier, we are a community that's about Jesus. We're Jesus people, and we don't uh, shy away from that. And so uh, today we actually are starting a new series. I say it's a series, but it's actually just a two-week um, two series. And um, we'll be talking today and next week about the Bible, um, thinking, hey, let's jump right in and talk what is this book all about. And so um, if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard of the Bible. If you are a Christian, I hope you've heard of the Bible. And um, we're going to jump in. We're going to ask questions like, why do we read it? Today is why the Bible. Um, next week is how can we trust the Bible? So two weeks you don't want to miss. If you miss one of those, we do have a podcast. You can catch up on that later on. But let's pray, and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can trust it and we can rely on it. I thank you that you didn't have to give us your word, but you did. And um, as we jump in today, may you just open our hearts to hear you speak. Uh, will you speak through me? Um, God, I don't stand up here by any illusion of my own thinking that I'm doing this uh, for anyone but you, God. I just ask that you would just move and move on our campus and move through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we start the series, kind of as we do every series, I just want to start off, start the semester with a few short comments. Um, first off, um, 
last week at preview service, I challenged incoming students, freshmen, transfers, um, new students to AU, I challenged them to give one semester. Give one semester to diving into hard questions about faith. Looking at things like, why do we trust the Bible? Who is this Jesus person? What does God have to do um, with our lives? I challenged them, said, give us a semester. One semester, four months. Um, and so I'm gonna ask you guys the same. The best way to get involved with, the, with Chi Alpha, the best way to get the most out of Chi Alpha is for you to dive right in. And so um, make it a point to be in scripture daily. Dive in to that daily. Uh, I know it's a commitment. I'm asking you just right off the bat, kind of getting to my final point tonight. I'm asking you to jump in 15 minutes a day. I know that's a commitment, but being a Christian is also a commitment. And so um, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this book, the Bible, it's the most widely sold book in all time. And so what does it hurt you to figure out what it's about? I would say it doesn't, and we're gonna jump into that a little bit more. But if you're a Christian and you haven't read the Bible or haven't been involved in it um, or haven't looked at it, I would encourage you to spend the semester to do that. And as you read it, you're gonna have questions. You're gonna have a ton of questions. I still read it and I still have questions. And so I encourage you, ask those questions, dive into community there. And at the end, you may walk away and that's your decision, but I encourage you look at what God says in his word and do it that way. Also, be a regular part of small groups. Um, dive into the word, be a regular part of small groups. So start up Monday. So if you haven't decided, hey, what small group you're gonna be a part of, grab one of the yellow flyers on the way out at our connections table and uh, make sure to be a part of that. That's where community happens. Um, Morgan said it well, we're a large community made up of uh, a few small communities. And so jump into that, invest in small group, invest in fall retreat. There's a lot of ways you can get involved with Chi Alpha. Next, um, I would say um, when you're a part of small groups, don't jump in just to show off your Bible knowledge. Um, we joke in the office and we call these people that do this theology bros. Don't be a theology bro. Um, no one wants you to come into a small group and tell them, hey, this is what the Bible says. People won't like you if you do that. Also, Facebook is the worst place on the planet to debate the Bible. Just don't do it. Next, listen and engage with the sermons. We're trying this new thing this year, this semester. Um, last year we did a program called Next and we're reformatting that. And so Next is um, pretty exciting. We're doing three Next events this semester. What it is is if you have questions about Christianity, if you're new to Christianity, new to faith, you have questions about that, questions about the sermons, questions about what you talk about in your small group, really questions at all. We have a website, it's aukialpha.org slash next. You go fill out that form. There's uh, just an opportunity to submit your question. In every sermon series, we're gonna have this event called Next. The first one's next Friday at six in SIS. And this is just a place where you submit your questions, the staff goes through those, we look at them and we say, hey, what's um, some ones we wanna talk about in kind of a panel format? And we're gonna go through those questions. So we're saying, hey, community is the best place for you to ask questions and we're giving you opportunities for that. So I know that's a lot of information right at the front, but just some important ways to get plugged in this semester to Chi Alpha. There's gonna be three of those next um, things. The first one's again next Friday. So um, you still with me? 
A lot of information. Cool. All right. Dave Lomas, pastor from uh, Reality Church in San Francisco, he said once, uh, we believe that Christianity thrives under honest investigation. And that's kind of the theme for this year. Uh, we want you to investigate Christianity for yourself. Don't take your parents' faith and just walk in it like it's yours and make it your own. Um, don't just walk away from Christianity without exploring it. I'd say investigate it. Look at what the word has to say. Ask the hard questions and dive into community. So we get to talk about this book, this book that is a collection of writings, 66 different writings exactly. And um, I'm excited to start our series, Why the Bible, today. Um, now, I love to read. I always have. I was the kid that would walk through halls in school with a book in his face and bumping into people. That was me. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. And so, um, as a kid, I can remember doing that. I can remember everywhere I went, I had a book. But I was also a problem child. Um, my parents had a heck of a time with me. And so, I can remember they did this thing called in-room restriction. Did anybody else have in-room restriction? Okay, anyone know what restriction is or being grounded? Probably not, you're millennials, but uh, I'm a millennial too, I can make that joke. So um, anyways, my parents, instead of grounding me from going anywhere out of the house, they'd actually ground me to my room. They'd say, go to your room and don't come out. And um, that's about how bad of a kid I was. And so they'd say, no TV, no Game Boy. I'm a 90s kid, so I had a Game Boy Pocket. I would play that everywhere. But they um, never did the weird thing that said, hey, you're not allowed to read. So I'd go to my room, and I wouldn't learn my lesson, and I would just pick up a book, and I would dive right in, and I would read, and I would kind of escape from reality for a little bit. But for me, I love to read. I always had a um, high reading level, and I can remember reading through Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, um, the classics, C.S. Lewis. Um, all of these books, I can remember just soaking through them and rereading them and rereading them. Um, but for me, there's nothing like jumping into a story, a good story with a good plot, a good, um, good characters, and really a good moral in it. Um, I, love, I love to read. One of my favorite things to do on Sundays is to um, put on a, some music, uh, turn off the TV, sit in my yellow wingback chair in my house, and read a book with some coffee. There's nothing like that for me. Here's my point. I believe that so many of us are losing our biblical literacy, that we are not um, literate in the Bible. We don't know what the story is there, and we don't even care. I would say that it's um, something that has come up on our generation uh, maybe even a couple generations before us, where we've lost the value of this book right here. Um, we have all the cool things, like uh, there's um, the Bible without the verse numbers or the chapters, and you just read it like you read a book. But um, there's all these efforts to make the book readable, but we still are illiterate in, in Bible. And so I think we love short devotional books. I think we love people telling us what to get out of the book, what to get out of scripture, to um, listen to podcasts on the history of it or theology. Um, I think we like people telling us what to think about scripture instead of figuring it out ourselves. And now I say that knowing that it's my job to kind of tell you what to think about scripture and to help you do that. 
um, but I hope that this series, this, the goal of us here at Kyle is to have you think on your own about this and to figure out what you believe, because if you're living my faith, then it's not yours. Um, if you're living my faith, then I failed every step of the way. So, knowing its story, knowing the history behind the 66 books, knowing how the theme consistently goes through, all of this is becoming a lost art. And I would ask the question, why is that? I would say first, um, outside of school, that we don't read books much. Um, we read threads, we read blogs, we read posts, but actually picking up a book and spending the time to get in that book and be engrossed in that, we don't do that much. Um, I'm guilty of that myself. Just the other night, I checked out a book from the DC Online Library and I started reading it. Went to bed, I pulled up my phone, had it on iBooks and was just reading. I got about a page through and I got an alert on my phone that the Atlanta Braves were losing again. And so that distracted me. I go to Sports Center, I start looking at that, watching the alerts, I start thinking, hey, I haven't been to a ball game lately. I wonder how much tickets are and when the Braves come in town. And so I'm distracted there. I go and look at tickets and then I'm thinking, wait, I can't spend money on tickets. My wife's birthday's coming up. And so then I find myself on the magical world of Pinterest and Etsy and looking for gifts for her. And 30 minutes later, I'm still only one page through this book that I just checked out. And I'm like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed and I give up. And so that's how we are. The state of our minds is we're so consumed with digital distraction that we cannot get engrossed in a book. And now I remember when I graduated grad school and I looked at Brittany and I was like, whoa, I could actually read what I want to read now. I know you guys are constantly reading. You, give, you have assignments. I was talking to someone the other day that was like, I have 150 pages to read tonight. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's crazy. But that's where you are. So I understand not wanting to pick up a book and read and just wanting to binge watch Netflix, but this isn't just a book. So why books? Why is that a big deal? I want to read you this quote I found when I was studying for this message. It says, books in a way that is different than visual art, music, the radio, or even love force us to walk through another's thoughts one word at a time over hours and days. We share our minds for that time with the writers. There is slowness, a forced reflection required by the medium that is unique. Books recreate someone else's thoughts inside our own minds, and maybe it is this one-to-one -one mapping of someone else's words on their own without external stimuli that give books their power. Books force us to let someone else's thoughts inhabit our minds completely. Now, I can't think of a better book to allow our imagination to be captured by than the Bible, than the words of God. Um, and so that's why it's important to allow the thoughts of God, mediated by the authors that he moved to write these words, to invade our minds completely, to let our imaginations wander through his scriptures. That's why reading the Bible is important. But it's not easy. Um, I have um, six years of education and I still come on um, questions about the Bible that I'm like, I have no idea. If you've ever met up with me and asked me a hard question, I'm normally like, yeah, let's, let's think about that because the Bible is a very difficult book. Just some examples, um, Paul, um, in his letters, he says, 
greet each other with a holy kiss. How many of you walked in this room, sat down next to the person next to you, and kissed them on the cheek? I didn't even get that from my wife, and I'm married. But we tend to mean that, take that as greet them well, and maybe give them a Christian side hug. How did we go from greet each other with a holy kiss to Christian side hug? You may look at me and say, Josh, that's, that's cultural of the time. Yeah, but how do you know that? How do you know that that wasn't a command? The Bible is difficult sometimes. Let's talk about murder. That's a good one. <laughs> the Bible says you shall not murder. That's, of course, self-evident. You shouldn't do that. But most Christians would say you shall not murder unless it's killing in self-defense or protecting something or someone you love. Therefore, it's no longer murder. It's just killing. <laughs> and then I'd say something along the lines in response, well, didn't Jesus say turn the other cheek? And then you may respond and say, yeah, but Jesus said take up your sword. And then I would probably respond and say, yeah, but didn't he also say put down your sword because that's not the way the kingdom of God's coming into this world? And you'd probably say, well, at the end of the book, Jesus is covered in blood and he has a sword in his hand and he's taking on the enemy. And I would say, wait, that blood's actually Jesus's and the sword is actually in his mouth and all of this is symbolic. And then you would say, wait, who's, who are you to say that this is symbolic and not literal? And I would say that is the problem with the Bible. It's difficult. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to understand, but it doesn't take a PhD or a ministry degree or Bible school. It just takes time. It takes skill. It takes intelligence to interpret the Bible. So for people to say, hey, um, Christianity is not an intellectual religion or an intellectual faith, I would strongly disagree. It takes you being an intellectual to read scripture, bottom line. However, interpreting the Bible is difficult. As I've said, the Bible's been used for some of the greatest evils and some of the greatest good this world has ever seen. Mark Twain once said in the Bible that you can find both the poison and the cure. Over the past few months, you've probably heard so-called Christians saying and making comments that the stuff going on in Charlottesville or the stuff that's going on in our nation is okay, and using the Bible to back that up. I mentioned this last week with the preview class, um, or preview class, the preview service, but I think the Bible's pretty clear on this, and I want to reiterate it as we start the semester. Racism has no place in the kingdom of God. Hatred and bigotry have no place in the kingdom of God, and therefore racism, hatred, and bigotry have no place here in Chi Alpha. This doesn't just come from us. This comes from scripture, and ultimately Jesus preached on this. He said, the world will know that you're my disciples and you're my followers because of how you love one another. And so, just to recap what we said last week, here at Kyle, we're gonna love, and we're gonna do that. We're gonna look through the lens of scripture, and we're gonna um, find what scripture says and lean on that, but we're gonna love people regardless of where they're at. So, why do we keep reading the Bible and not move on from it? Why do we read it? Here's why. We read scripture because we are followers of Jesus. Jesus himself memorized 
the Bible. He memorized the Old Testament. He's obsessed with Scripture. We see all through the New Testament him quoting the Old Testament. He'd teach from it. He'd argue about how best to interpret it, therefore how to live the Scriptures. He prayed the Bible. His way of living, his life was shaped by Scripture. And as followers of Jesus, we have to be like him. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. I want to show you how Jesus relates to the Bible. So, side note, if you don't have a Bible and you're like, turn where? Um, you can download this awesome app. It's called YouVersion, or it's just the Bible app. And um, you can have your Bible on your phone wherever you go. Also, if you want a physical copy Bible, we will have some for you next week. So, um, come to our offices or come to us after TNW. We want to get you a Bible in your hand. And so, Matthew chapter 4. This is the first book of the New Testament, and this is an account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness shortly after he begins his ministry. Um, at the age of 30, Jesus is baptized um, after living kind of an anonymous life up until this point. He's baptized and he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And um, scripture says this is where he meets the tempter or Satan um, or the devil. And um, we pick up here, but what's interesting is that this isn't the first time in Scripture that we see this adversary. We, we actually see this adversary the third chapter of Scripture. And so, third chapter of Genesis, we see Satan coming to Adam and Eve and tempting them. And this be, then begins the fall of man and sin entering the world. But what a, the point is this is that the Bible is not just a string of random stories. It's a story all the way throughout about this person, Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 4 starts off, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So here in this passage, we see that Jesus is tempted three times, and each time Jesus is used, he uses the authority of Scripture to combat this temptation. He also reveals, I believe, a different aspect each time he's tempted about his relationship to Scripture. So in the first temptation, is, um, he's fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and it says, I love how it says, he's fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. I'm hungry after, like, breakfast. <laughs> this morning, I didn't even get breakfast. We didn't have milk, and I poured a bowl of cereal, Rice Krispies, I put some sugar on top and then opened the fridge and there was no milk and so I just ate it dry. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty sad and uh, it was actually kind of disgusting. And so like I was feeling the hunger until lunch and then 
had an awesome bologna sandwich and it was great. But anyways, I can't make it six hours without food, uh, more or less 40 days or 40 nights. But it says Jesus is hungry and Satan comes and says, Give, if you're the son of God, why can't you make bread? But Jesus combats this with saying, Scripture is enough. The word of God is my bread. It's my sustenance. It's my source. God's word satisfies me. I talked last week about this book being our lens that we look through the world. And um, if we don't do that, if we're looking through a different lens at the world, then life, eternity, meaning, reality, all of this is distorted. And um, we have to look through scriptures so that we can experience this power of God. We have to look through the scriptures so that we can figure out what sustains us in this world. The Bible is enough. Jesus would say that the scriptures are enough and that we can live off of God's word. The second temptation here shows that God's word is coherent. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Did you recognize what Satan did here? He uses Psalm 91 and quotes it to Jesus. It says, look, it's written, if you do this, God will deliver you. But what Jesus says, it's important to realize, is he doesn't say, no, that's not valid. He says, actually, let's look at another passage to view this one correctly. I think so many times we take verses out of context. We look at scripture and we read and we think, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. But we forget that this is written to a specific people in a specific place, and it may not be exactly applicable to our lives in our moment. We talked last semester about Job and suffering and how God's sovereign through suffering. Maybe the greatest way God's getting glory in your life is through suffering and not allowing you to prosper at that moment. But if you're taking Jeremiah 29, 11, and you're making that your life verse, and you're saying, hey, God's plan is solely to make me prosper, then I would say you're not looking at the entirety of Scripture. We have to be careful that we don't do that. And so Jesus is saying here that God's word is coherent, that each section of Scripture is informed by other sections of Scripture. He responds, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so he takes what Psalm 91 is saying, and he also references this verse that says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And he says, hey, look, these two go hand in hand. You can't do one without the other. Jesus has a very high view of Scripture. He has a very high view of the Bible. Um, in the next chapter from here, Matthew 5, Jesus comes and says that he's come to fulfill the Scripture, not to remove one iota of it. I love that word, iota. But... He says, I haven't come to abolish Scripture. I've come to fulfill it. And so Jesus has this very high view of Scripture. And in the third temptation here, we see that Je Jesus shows us that God's word is authoritative. Now, this is not a word that we like. 
Um, I don't like looking, or I don't like it when people say I'm an authority over you, um, may have authority issues, but um, that's a whole nother thing. I don't, that word authoritative, when someone says, I believe the Bible is authoritative, we tend to kind of shirk away from that. And I think that may be a sign of the times. It may be like, oh, like we don't want anyone in authority over us. But I think the Bible isn't authoritative in the sense of being heavy-handed and trying to say, do this or else. But it's saying, do this for your sake. I had an assignment in grad school that uh, was to read a, bi uh, read a book that made your blood boil before you passed the preface. And I was like, well, this sounds like an awesome assignment. And there was a list of books that were recommended. And one of these was a book by a New York Times journalist. Um, and it was called The Year of Living Biblically. Has anyone read this book? It's interesting because this guy, he is a non-Christian, doesn't even believe in the Lord. And he goes about a year of, he initially writes down every single law and command in the Old Testament embarks on a year's journey of trying to follow every one of those to the T. At the end of the book, I find it interesting because he says, I did this, and in a year in, I realized my life was better because of it. It's like, what? <laughs> like, you didn't even look at the New Testament side of things that really, like, introduces Jesus and the fulfillment of the law. But you looked at the Old Testament, literally, one of the commands is, like, to stone adulterers, and so he had carried like a pocket full of pebbles and would throw them at people. If, yeah, like, and so even things like not wearing clothes that had like mixed fibers, so he just wore straight linen, all this stuff, not like trimming his beard, like he went all in. But at the end of it, all these crazy commands that aren't, um, that are in the Old Testament, but then are fulfilled in Christ, he says, I'm a better person of this. Now take that and add Jesus into the equation, and how much does your life change? I would say that God's Word's authoritative because we're supposed to follow it. That's how we were created. We believe as Christians that we're created in the image of God, and if we're created in the image of God, then we follow His ways. And so as we follow His ways, we're becoming more like what we were created to be. Matthew 28, 18 um, says, Jesus is talking to the disciples. This is after his resurrection, uh, right as he's uh, ascending to come back for his church. And we know 19 through 20, Jesus is saying, go into all the nations, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we always forget to quote this verse, and it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I want to note here that Jesus doesn't say all authority on heaven and earth has been given to the Bible. He says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. We as followers in Jesus trust in the Bible because we trust in Jesus. The Bible gets its authority from Jesus, not Jesus from the Bible. So what this means is if you um, hear stories of a man who lived, who died, and then rose from the dead, you're probably going to listen to this man. You're probably going to continue to 
like think, hey, what does this man have to say? How do I hear like what he's teaching? The Bible gets its authority because Jesus is Lord. Not Jesus being Lord because the Bible's authoritative. We have to change our mind on that. So this is where I want to close. John chapter 5, verse 39. This is Jesus again speaking, and he says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So the question today is why the Bible? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we read scripture? It's because of Jesus. Because this book, these 66 books compiled into one volume that we call the Bible, these books are about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's Jesus, and we read that so that we're in relationship with him. It all points to his life, his death, his resurrection. We read the Bible because Jesus valued it. We read the Bible because we're Jesus people. And so, where does that leave us today? As we dive into this semester, as one of your pastors, I see two threats that we need to avoid. First, we can read this collection of writings and we could become theology bros. We can become so conceited and puffed up with pride and with knowledge about the scripture that we become cold-hearted Bible nerds. And in New Testament, these are called Pharisees and Jesus spoke pretty strongly against them. This book, the Bible, just to be clear, the Bible will not bring you eternal life. Only Jesus will. Reading the Bible, spending 15 minutes in the Bible, and not finding Jesus will not give you points with God that you can cash in for salvation. Jesus will. Jesus doesn't give you points you cash in for salvation, but Jesus gives you salvation. And the Bible points to him. Jesus is what we're supposed to say in the scriptures. So don't refuse to come to Jesus for life because you've just been in scripture or because you're so puffed up with pride and knowledge about the Bible. Dive in and look at each passage and say, where's Jesus in this? Second error that I believe we can make this semester is that we can look at the Bible and we say, I've, I've done this before and it hasn't helped. I've had this talk about scripture. I've heard pastors or the church talk about the Bible and use it in different ways, and I don't want anything of it. You could be missing out on a relationship with God. Through the scriptures, Jesus is, um, is seen, and God is mediating his authority onto us, and he's saying, live a life in honor of me. This is the life we're called to live and I would hate for you to miss out on this because you're just torn on whether it's true or not. I'd say even if you have doubts, jump in. 
So let's, let's do it. This semester, I challenge you. I don't know how you are with challenges, but normally if you challenge me to do something, I'm going to do it, and, um, or at least try my hardest to. I'm going to challenge you. Spend 15 minutes a day in Scripture. Break that up, whether you want to do 10 minutes in the morning, 5 minutes at night, or 15 minutes just in the morning. Spend just 15 minutes a day. If you've never jumped in the Word before, 15 minutes a day. Spend time looking at each passage saying, where's Jesus in this? God, what are you trying to say? God, I don't even know why I'm talking to you because I don't even know if you exist, but I'm going to look in your scriptures and, and see. I encourage you to do that if you haven't already. But if you are and you already have a consistent devotional life, I challenge you to ramp that up. If you're already in scripture for 15 minutes a day, maybe bump that to 20. Give a little bit more, a little bit more time and pray, journal, ask questions, submit questions to next, like ask questions in your small group. Each small group is studying a gospel, or I think every small group is studying a gospel this semester. And so jump into that. Um, we're studying scripture this semester, and that's what we stand on. In two weeks, we're starting a series on the book of Ephesians, and we're going line by line in that book for the rest of the semester. We have value on Scripture because Jesus is seen in Scripture. We read the Bible because Jesus read the Bible. Well, he didn't read what we have right here, but Nat's going to talk about a little bit about that next week. But we are Bible people because we're Jesus people. So jump in, be a part. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in your lives this semester, what God's going to do in my life this semester. So let's pray. God, I just thank you for who you are, and I thank you again for the gift of your word. Thank you that we have something that informs us and um, your son and what he's done for us, that each book, each verse points to you. God, may we never take it for granted. I ask that you would um, continue to just work on our lives, work in our hearts. That, God, you would give us a hunger for your word, a hunger that's only satisfied by being in communion with you. God, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.